This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we're going to look this morning at verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Hear the Word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the beauty and the power of these great narratives of the birth of our Savior. And pray, Father, that as we study this passage today, that you would give us insight into it and a new appreciation of the amazing way in which our Savior came into the world and your amazing grace that lay behind it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, it's easy to read that, and the mind just goes along with that, but let's stop for just a second and think about that verse. We're not going to concentrate all our time on that verse, but just think about that verse for a second. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Question, how do you get from God to Galilee? And is there a map? Can you, you know, go on Google on Google or MapQuest and get directions and how far it's going to be? What kind of, of distance? What, what kind of dimensions? 
have to be crossed for the angel Gabriel to leave the presence of God and to go to a place on earth called Galilee. Maybe it was a long, arduous journey, or maybe it took no time at all. The point, of course, is that Gabriel did go, and he had a message to deliver, a message for Mary, a message for us. Because this was a message about an event that had been long awaited, been long anticipated, so long, in fact, that some maybe had begun to doubt it ever would happen, and others were faithfully awaiting the arrival of the Messiah. Well, as we look at this passage, obviously there's a great deal here. Uh, as we look at it, I just want us to think about three truths that have to do with this birth that was announced by the angel Gabriel, sent from the presence of God to Galilee, to a little village in Galilee named Nazareth. First thing I want us to notice about this is that it was a foretold birth foretold in a couple of senses, of course, foretold by the angel himself when he comes to Mary, tells her what is going to happen. But that's not really what I mean. When I say a foretold birth, it was one that was foretold way back in the Old Testament. Why Mary? To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Well, because this is fulfillment of an ancient prophecy all the way back in Isaiah, uh, where Isaiah gives a sign, certainly in his own day, that a virgin will conceive and bear a son, all the way up to the present day where Matthew, when he cites what happened, cites, when he describes what happened, cites that prophecy from Isaiah, that it wouldn't be just anyone who would have a child, but that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. And so just uh, first off, to notice that this was not something that happened randomly. This was not just something God thought up that would be uh, interesting and amazing and confounding to do, to have a virgin conceive and bear a son. Why Mary? Well, there's nothing particularly special about Mary that, that singles her out from any other young Jewish maiden of her time. Uh, it's solely by God's grace, solely because for whatever reason she found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But it was true. She was a virgin. And as Gabriel comes to her with this message, it is a fulfillment of that prophecy made centuries before that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. Just one prophecy we want to look at there, and that's it. Uh, but certainly the number of prophecies that were fulfilled uh, in Jesus' birth, uh, let alone the rest of his life and ministry, certainly helped to confirm not only that he was the Messiah promised, but he is the Savior, that this is the real deal, that this is what God was doing in the world then and what God is doing in the world now. There simply is no way that all of the fulfillments of all of these prophecies could be contrived, could be manipulated so that it looked like prophecies were being fulfilled. So many of them completely out of Jesus' hands at all, but also that a virgin would conceive and bear a child. So the first thing I want to notice here is just that that was a foretold birth. The, the Lord said way back in Isaiah, the virgin shall conceive 
and bear a son. That's not to get into the whole question of the Hebrew word, whether it's maiden or virgin. The point was virtually the same. A Hebrew maiden was expected to be a virgin. And it's certainly the word that Matthew uses when he describes all of this in his gospel. It was a foretold birth. The second thing I want to notice about this is that it was a royal birth. Now, you would know that to look on the outward trappings, uh, as, as was questioned in our own Christmas play here. You know, why, why would he be born? Why would this king be born in a, in a stable, put in a manger, rather than in the palace? You wouldn't know it was a royal birth. Didn't take place in grand settings. Didn't take place with pomp and splendor and, and, and nationwide celebration. But it was a royal birth nevertheless. Notice what the angel says to Mary. He comes to her and he says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this was. I find that somewhat humorous. By the way, Mary is, it, it, she may be the only one, I can't, I haven't really researched this out, but she may be the only person that an angel appears to, and it doesn't say she was afraid or terrified. Now, the angel says to her, do not be afraid. But I think that's just what angels say when they appear. It doesn't say she was, it did say she was troubled. But it doesn't even say she was troubled at the appearance of this supernatural being. Now, whether he appeared frightening, whether he appeared simply as a human being, we don't know. It just says the angel Gabriel came to her. We do know earlier in, uh, in chapter 1, when Zechariah the priest went into the temple, when he was on duty serving in the temple, in verse 12, Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. This angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, he was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. This was, of course, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, as we know him, but John. But it says that Zechariah was afraid. Nothing like that is said of Mary. It's just worth noting. In fact, it says she was troubled and she was trying to figure out what kind of greeting this was. It's almost like when you get some phone call and you're trying to figure out if this is a sales pitch or not. You know, uh, I don't know if that was her reaction, but it does say she was trying to discern what sort of greeting this is. What's going on here? The angel comes to her and says this. says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Could you imagine? An angel from heaven appearing to you and saying, don't be afraid, you have found favor with God. Wow. That would be very encouraging, to say the least, and humbling. But he goes on with a very specific message. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which of course, as Matthew explains, uh, has to do with his being a savior, for he will save his people from their sins. It means the Lord saves, just like the Hebrew version of it, Joshua, means the Lord saves. He'll be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, several things that, that angel, the angel Gabriel says to her. One, she'll bear a son. We take that for granted, and we can go get an ultrasound done. Oh, we're having a boy. Oh, we're having a girl. Well, until pretty recently, you didn't know that. 
You, you, you just learned when the baby came, and some of us chose to go that route anyway, just to be surprised. Uh, but until pretty recently, that wasn't a choice. You just were surprised. You just had to wait till the baby was born to find out if you had a little boy or a little girl. Well, 2,000 years ago, Mary knew in advance she was having a boy without benefit of ultrasound, but by the word of the Lord. Now, she learns that he is an heir of David. Now, both Mary and Joseph, in the lineage of David, that, that flows uh, through them, but the, the angel says to her, he will be uh, in the line of David. He'll be great, called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So he will be an heir of David and hold his throne. It says he will reign over the house of Jacob or Israel forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, I hope in light of Psalm 39, or 89 rather, that we read together earlier, Psalm 89, and in light of what we read in 2 Samuel 7, uh, that all kinds of connections are happening there in your mind. Because what Gabriel is saying is that this child who will be born to you is, is the one to whom those promises were pointing. Now we read it in 2 Samuel 7, the Lord says, uh, this, this one will come from your own body. Well, it's pointing to Solomon. And when he sins, I will discipline him, I will chasten him, but I will not withdraw my love from him, as it did Saul. And that's exactly what happened. You know the history of Israel, what happened with Solomon and what happened with Israel after him. And God chastens them severely. The northern kingdoms are taken off by the Assyrians. The southern kingdoms are, uh, kingdom is taken off by the Babylonians into captivity. And eventually they begin to trickle back and rebuild but the Lord did not withdraw his love. He did not end his purposes for them. And what you see here as, as the angel speaks to Mary is he's saying that those things that were promised, I'm going to fulfill through this son who would be born to you and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Same promise that, he, that the Lord made back in the Old Testament. But here it's going to be embodied and fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ who reigns Forever, And so it is a royal birth. It is one without end. But then there's something even more amazing about it. Not just is it this royal birth of this king who will reign forever, but it is a divine birth. There's a great mystery here we see in verses 34 and following. Now at this point, everything kind of screeches to a halt. Mary has heard enough. And she basically says, objection. How will this be? Since I am a virgin. Now, Mary may have been young, but she knew how things worked. How can this happen? You say this, how, how will this happen since I'm a virgin? If you don't know the name J. Gresham Machen, you should. It should be a name that's dear to every Bible-believing Christian and certainly every Bible-believing Presbyterian. J. Gresham Machen was a professor of New Testament at Princeton Seminary back in the early 20th century, uh, although Princeton today may bring up visions of, of very liberal uh, so-called biblical scholarship. Uh, the fact was Princeton, from its founding in the early 1800s until the 1920s, was uh, a Gibraltar of biblical orthodoxy uh, and produced some of the finest biblical scholars, believing scholars 
uh, on the American continent or at any time. Uh, but in the 20s, the seminary began to be reorganized, kind of from the top down, uh, in an effort to, as some saw, bring it up to date. Uh, there were still, of course, many fine faculty members there who resisted that. Uh, and Machen was one of them. Machen had been trained in Germany, studied in Germany. In fact, was in Europe in World War One, and, and did his uh, doctoral work in Germany and had been exposed to the best and worst of German liberal theological thought um, and saw that was what was happening at, at Princeton. And in the denomination, uh, because of its liberalism, and because of what happened at Princeton, he wound up in 1929 with some others founding Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. I had the pleasure of studying for a year. He also started within the Northern Presbyterian Church an independent board of foreign missions to send out Bible-believing, gospel-preaching missionaries. Well, the denomination uh, disciplined him and others on the board of that organization uh, basically defrocked him, which led in 1936 to the founding of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, uh, something of an earlier, more northern equivalent of the PCA. Uh, and in fact, the OPC and the PCA together operate Great Commission publications who produce our children's Sunday school curriculum as well as the Trinity hymnal that we use. So Machen has uh, had an influence on us to this day. Why do we bring this up? Well, Machen wrote any number of books, one of which, by the way, has just kind of come out, I think, in a new edition, Christianity and Liberalism, where he basically argues they're two different religions. But probably his magnum opus and and a a more scholarly work was a book called The Virgin Birth of Christ, where he, in, in considerable detail, studies what the scriptures teach about it and deals with various various objections to it, uh, the virgin birth of Christ, answering the skeptics with which he was well acquainted who were questioning the virgin birth of Christ, whether it actually happened, whether it's even necessary, uh, as well as other doctrines uh, and the supernatural doctrines that were being challenged by the, the skeptics and the modernists of his day. But long before the days of German higher critical scholarship and long before the days of Machen and his scholarly answers to that, we need to recognize that the first skeptic of the virgin birth was Mary herself. Because Mary knew babies don't just happen. Sometimes as Christians, we get so familiar, well, of course, virgin birth, why not? Certainly, you know, we need to sometimes listen to ourselves and realize how ridiculous we really sound. Because that's exactly how Gabriel sounded to Mary. Huh? Well, Gabriel overruled her objection in verse 35 and following. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, that's somewhat mysterious language. We're certainly not to interpret that in the crass pagan way of God's consorting with humans. Gabriel doesn't really give specifics. He basically says to her, the power of God will do this, will make this happen in you, that a child will be conceived apart from a husband. And he says, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. We be called the son of God because he was conceived and was born by the power 
of God himself. Now, that's his objection. But as confirmation, he gives a couple of things. First confirmation he gives, verse 36, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And that woman who was once called barren is now in her sixth month. God bringing a child out of what seemed to be a permanently childless situation. And yet this woman who was said to be beyond having children now has a child. Now, certainly with Mary, the Lord takes it one step further because John was not conceived of a virgin birth. John was a child of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And yet it was very unlikely, kind of similar to uh, Abraham and Sarah. But with Mary, it was absolutely unlikely. In fact, it would be said to be impossible. And that brings up Gabriel's second confirmation, and that is in verse 37. Not only is your cousin Elizabeth now with child, six months, pregnant, verse 30, uh, 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Yeah, we would say, yes, impossible. But the angel says nothing is impossible with God. So two confirmations. First, he explains that, yes, the power of God will come over you, that this child will be conceived by the power of God in you, apart from a man. And then confirmation number one, Elizabeth, confirmation number two, the power of God. And Mary says, so be it. Very different from Zechariah, the priest, by the way, earlier in chapter 1, who has his doubts. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. He's, he's tactful, if skeptical. I'm an old man, and my wife's not as young as she used to be either. How will this happen? Verse 19, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. It's kind of like saying, what what gives, man? You ought to be celebrating. But he's not. He says, behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until that day these things take place. And it's true. Until the baby was born, they were saying, what's his name? Yeah, he writes his name is John because he can't speak. And they say, well, why John? Nobody in the family is named John. Finally, the baby's born and Zechariah is able to speak. Uh, Just a slight chastening because of his skepticism. Nothing like that with Mary. Mary, the young maid, not even the priest serving in the temple, but Mary, this young young woman, just says beautifully in, uh, in, in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Lord, I am at your disposal. Let it be to me according to your word. And it just says the angel, Gabriel, departed from her. Gabriel, by whatever route he went, went from God to Galilee. But only to announce that there would be another one making the same journey. Another one who wouldn't just visit this earth, but would be born into it through Mary. You know, the logistics, the mystery of Gabriel going from God to Galilee shrink into insignificance when you think of the staggering nature of God himself making the trip from God to Galilee, that Christ, the Son of God, who though he was in the form of God, 
didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, clung to, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God the Son becoming one of us. Doesn't cease to be God, but does begin to be a human being. One of us, born into his own creation, that he might die at the hands of and for the sins of the very ones he came to save. From God to this earth, to Bethlehem, through Mary, for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage, this beautiful conversation between your servant Gabriel, an angelic being, and your servant Mary, a young woman. Father, we thank you for this birth announcement. Thank you, Lord, for the fulfillment of this birth announcement. Thank you, Lord, that you bridged that distance between heaven and earth for us. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.